1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network in Latin American Studies, a podcast in the New Books Network. I am Kenneth Sanchez, one of the hosts of the channel, and today I will be talking with Lorena Cavilano about her interesting new book, Fictions of Migration, Narratives of Displacement in Peru and Bolivia. This book analyzes and explores the effects and epistemologies of migration in Peru and Bolivia through cultural production, such as films, novels, and short stories, in the context of regional neoliberal rearrangements. Dr. cuya Gavilano is an assistant professor of Latin American Cultures at Arizona State University. Her areas of specialization are migration studies, film analysis, contemporary Latin American cultural studies, and human geography. Thank you for joining us here today, Lorena.
2: Thank you for, for the opportunity to talk to you.
1: Perfect. Perhaps, to begin, you can tell us a little bit about yourself and the path that led you to write this book.
2: Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm Proven and I'm from Lima, but my family is, um, well, m- my family, my mother's family comes from the north of Peru and uh, part of my dad's family comes from the south of um, the, um, Peru and also from Cajamarca. In the north, in the Andes, um, so I think that just listening to their experiences and stories of um, adaptation and working in in the coast, specifically in Lima, has also like um, raised up curiosity, a lot of questions, and and it has shaped my life, um, right? So it's, it's like many people in the capital. So I think. That had a great influence in, in the why I'm interested in migration. And then for my PhD, I traveled to the U.S. And then I, I became a different kind of migrant. Um, so that also um, raised a, another set of questions for me and uh, about adaptation and cultural perception and, and how the dynamics and uh, the economics in, uh, influence different cultural perspectives. So. So that is more or less like my, my path. It's, it's personal in, in many ways.
1: Yes, of course. And before we go on about this book, I think it will be useful for our listeners to know a little bit more about the historical background of your book to locate it in time to place it within a, a frame. Perhaps you can tell us briefly about the historical background both of Peru and, and Bolivia.
2: Well, we share um, something that is interesting. Is like we we used to be part of the same country. And then um, for historical reasons, we we took our own paths, right? Um, but in terms of like um, the ethnic constitution of each country, I think we're similar, except for our attitudes toward these different ethnicities is, is different than the book. deals with this in, from the 1970s until the first decade of the, 21st century. So um, I talk about books as, such as um, Los Soros um, by Arguedas and also books as recent as um, Abril Rojo or Lost City Radio by Daniela Largon. And um, the reason why I chose this is because we can see a change from the, in the 70s when Arguedas was writing, like we, we've seen like the second waves of migration towards the capital and and all the changes that came with modernization, and then all the changes that came after all the more recent waves of migration after the the war against Sendero, Luminoso, uh, the Shiny Path, and in the case of Bolivia, also the the words I I select for for the book were cre- uh, produced after the. Uh, 1950s when you have the revolution in Bolivia. So uh, I think that and also the modernization processes, industrialization, and and that brought a a new set of uh, challenges for both societies and a lot of migration towards the cities. And that is something that is similar, right? Like during the 50s and 60s, we have a new modernization processes throughout Latin America. And these two countries share these um, similar patterns in particular, but with different reactions toward the people who were migrating to the cities. And um, so so that is a little bit of the context for these two countries, but also I have to say like we, in, in Peru, one of the differences between Peru and Bolivia is that we had the Fujimori dictatorship right and and with Fujimori we have like the official entrance in the neoliberal economy and neoliberal market that was welcomed by many peruvians and i think that we can see the consequences of that to this day when we see um many people i think on the on the right side of the economic ideologies in in peru right like um all about free markets and the, the, the regularization whilst in bolivia you uh i think people have witnessed this um uprising right like the the waking of indigenous populations and indigenous movements uh, a lot of protests against um the privatization of water of gas of oil etc so the reaction of the people has been um, different towards these neoliberal um, economies and dynamics. And in the case of Bolivia, for example, um, instead of moving towards the right, as is the case of Peru, they have moved towards more decolonial approach to politics and ways of living and recognizing the indigenous background. And people in indigenous communities taking power too, Um, we can see that with Evo Morales, and even now, like, again, with with, um, the new Bolivian president with Arce, right? Uh, So there is all these um, different reactions in these two countries toward, um, in the face of neoliberal policies. And that is what I think has shaped in many ways the different visions of the migrants in these two countries. That's a
1: little bit of the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I think that's very important and that's very well put. I want to talk to you a bit about your framework or your the way you read these uh, cultural productions, uh, such as films and novels. I'm really interested in knowing a little bit more about the, the effective epistemology that you use, that the decolonial reading of, of, uh, of these productions to serve uh, the purpose of... Uh, reaching these uh, or analyzing these fictions of migration of this migrational fictions as you call them
2: mm-hmm. well the thing is that uh, my point of departure is that um in our society today we're so used to value recent uh science in in like stem fields for example the stem um uh career paths as opposed to humanities so it's all these um uh, the privilege of, of of reason and practical thinking utilitarianism in a way and we have um, to a certain degree left aside like emotions and feelings and and discard them as something that it's uh, subjective and of no value that we cannot learn anything from it and um today i think there is um a little bit of a of a change of uh, turned back to paying attention to the emotions and to the sense of community that uh, at least in, in, this, in the Indian countries and I know in that, um, South Africa too right uh, so this, um, yeah, this affective epistemology is like we can learn through um, feelings through emotions we, we can learn from them and in the case of the works that I select for this book uh, the characters goal. Um, it's not that they are learning from reading books or from watching the news or listening to I don't know um, podcasts or, or, or the radio or I don't know or it's not that it's that it's their own personal experience, their own feelings that leads them to recover certain um, value the value of their communities of their traditions and what they have forgotten by moving towards modernity which equates in this case to moving towards the cities where the new industries are, where the new opportunities are, where the new markets are. So um in that sense that like these paying attention and underscoring the the feelings of the characters, migrant characters in particular, their hardships and emotions, it's uh it is important for them to open up Another set of questions where they can end up um, recovering their cultural roots. So that is, um, and this is something that with um, with the car, for example, uh, it's all about the the reason, right? We cannot believe in anything that cannot be proven, or with uh, positivism, for example, um, we need a physical proof of something. We need. Um, yeah, to, to see something, to to believe, etc. And this is another way to see it. Um, it's not a scientific method. It's it's emotions. It's pure emotions. And and I think that it's important. something that we do not pay attention much. Um, but it's something that I think, especially with with the um, new indigenous movements in a different in in Indian countries like Ecuador, Bolivia, and now Peru. Um, we are, in a way, kind of recovering that there is like a different kind of knowledge, and in that sense, it is decolonial. It is like it goes against the the our Western view of what reason is, what knowledge is valuable, and um, which one is not.
1: Mm-hmm. That's that's very interesting. That's that's why I really wanted to know a bit more about that from from yourself. And now moving on to, to the book itself, I wanted to ask you first about. The first chapter, it's called uh, Anxiety for the Future, Migration in Peruvian Cinema. I was very interested in your uh, decision to choose two uh, Chasky films, uh, Gregorio and Juliana from 85 and 88, and two more recent films, Claudia Llosa's uh, Maidenusa and La Tretas or The Milk of Sorrow in English. And I, I was really interested in the decision to choose these films to tell the story of uh, migrational fiction, as you, as you say but also the change, the way you analyze it, the, the change between the, how we portray migration and also the, the view of who makes cinema, how we make cinema to portray these this fictions. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about this chapter and, and about this change and, and who, who was in charge of, of perhaps portraying these, uh, these migrational fictions. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. Yeah, well, with uh, the Chesky movies, were produced in a in a different period with a different cinema law in Peru in the in the eighties, and Claudia Yosa clearly obviously belonged to um, a neoliberal period when the cinema law changed and there was uh, less help to uh, filmmakers. It's not that today there's uh, well our cinema is is still working on so many different things, especially funding, but. Um, before Fujimori, um, the, ci- the, the cinema industry had a little bit of help in, um, with uh, national topics of interest. And that changed after um, the cinema law. There was no funding to create shorts or, or long films about any national issue. And by national issue, I mean like um, topics such as um, agriculture or race and ethnicity class difference and things like that that we need to really face and question because we we tend to ignore these problems even even though they're in our face. Um, but um, I think these, these films try to problematize that and try to bring to the fore these um, migrant characters in, in the Chesky case, children who are migrant or children of migrants who end up living alone, daily run away from their houses and, and try to create different communities with other children and kind of create a different, um, an alternative way of living in a poor community, but still it works differently. It's, it's more about solidarity and how they're going to um, not only survive, but create a, uh, a community that can, where they can support each other emotionally too. Uh, not just um, surviving physically. Um, in the case of Josa, um, she had a, a different um, form of production. She was um, educated in well in Peru and then in Europe, and she got funding from private um, institutions. And she even created her own um, production company to sponsor her own films, and it's like just thinking about that she has all these opportunities of privilege in class that allows her to produce a different kind of film that was released first in europe not in Peru for example as opposed to Chasky. um but with this kind of external aid this transnational funding she also had different um how can i say this like she needed to show also certain images it compromised the production and she in a way it has to show in in sometimes the very stereotypical images of migrants uh pandia migrants in particular where they are not educated where they are dirty where they are um, they need to be helped it's a very paternalistic view i would say of of the migrant there i mean it is it is in a way it's it's, it's nice that somebody's showing that It's nice that somebody is showing the aftermath of the war in the case of uh, La Tita Sustada, for example. Um, But there is also this other side where we are seeing a a woman who has this irrational fear that goes against uh, Western uh, medicine um, and that has very weird behavior, sleeping with a dead corpse of oh, the dead, co- dead uh, corpse of the mother for example in in the milk of sorrow so um, that in a way is, is portraying the migrant as a deranged person and, and that is even more striking for example in in Mara where you have a completely alienated person and you actually only the last scene is the 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 scene of uh, a real migration because the whole movie is about like forming this idea of this character who wants to escape, who wants to leave the town to go towards modernity, um, a person who's worshiping Barbie dolls or Barbados images and plastic earrings and things like that, um, that come from supposedly the capital, modernity, and so she it's it, she she goes to the extreme measures to get to the capital meets this um this uh, guy who's coming salvador who's coming from the from from lima and she has asked him to take her to to the capital right um uh, cries and, and have sex with him and then ask him to to run away right so that's one thing that like she's using this character and the other part besides this betrayal is that um it's also an, an incestuous community. So, Indian communities are like drunkers and an incestuous, and nobody. It seems in in, in this uh, in Madainusa that nobody cares about that. It's, it's absolutely normal to to have a relationship with your daughter, right? No, nobody protests that. Um, that that is normalized in the film, in a way, and I think that that all all these details help. To form an idea of a migrant, the person who is going to arrive to the capital is, again, um, in a way a little bit of a psychopath, right? Like She's uh, poisoning her father, betraying the poor Lemnian guy who's trying to save her, and she's incestuous and she doesn't question that. She just wants to go to the city. That's that's all she wants, right? So, but but she has no no other. Um, questioning of reality or of the city or of like it's just that this 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 um obsession that is unjustified in the movie um and I think that is that could be problematic and again it is it is important to have movies that talk about the the isolation of Andean communities and how we have a banner and how um many people don't have the same opportunities that are offering the capital um but the way that it is presented, it's it's troubling, um, and I can mention, like for example, like um, Oscar Catacora uh, Pacha, right? It's it's more recent, and it's also about the the uh, an abandoned community. But the portrayal, it's it's not about like just exhibiting how these weird Andean communities behave. Right, it's, it's not about that. Um, in a way, more it's it's a more it's a, it's a closer approach. It's it's a more effective, right? It's about the consequences. It makes us think about like, oh my gosh, what happened with this community when somebody leaves, although we don't see the migrant there, right? Um, so that is, I I think that makes a big difference. The approach, um, even like with the yeah the. I don't know the the camera, like the angles of the camera. Like Joseph tends to have these very vertical shots that show the migrant like small. Well, for example, Katakora has these uh more um, use more close-ups, some more like intimate vision of of this um Indian community is represented by the only two protagonists in in the case of Katakora's film. So, uh, by the time I was writing the book, I i uh, obviously categorco film wasn't out, so I would have chosen that too for the book, but uh <laughs> yeah, um because there are there are different visions of the minor, and I think like because yeah joseph's movie was um, financed externally, she had certain set of um uh, commitments and expectations you need to fit to you know, show what is this perogian thing with color and things like that. So I think that 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 could be problematic. I think it's, I think it has a lot of merit. Like her films have merits, but at the same time, I, I I point out the the troubling, um, the patience of of migrants. Um, but something that it's interesting though is that, in spite of these uh, problematic images, she's still appealing to. To this um, emotional side of the migrants, which people do not normally pay attention to, right? Like um, it's it's all about like oh they're thieves in the they're thieves in, in Lima, and or they are the background in other films about violence or comedies. So they're just the background, right? So this like this, I think it's important because she, in spite of all the issues that I have mentioned, it is still bringing attention to to an important issue, right? And it's bringing attention from an emotional perspective.
1: Yes, and, and not to continue going on about, I, I thought it was a good selection of films you had here to, to talk about migrational fictions. And just to mention uh, Winyai Pachak and also the n- new film Mango Kapak. Mango Mangokapak obviously tells the story of an internal migration and, and so Winyai Pachak does it differently. But there's there's the empathy in the camera and the way these topics are, are handled. It shows you the difference in em- empathy and seeing themselves a bit, a bit more part of the community that, that being someone who's maybe extracting uh, something or looking from an outside place, outside looking in. And I think that's very interesting. I thought you, it was really good how you analyzed those topics on, when you were referring about uh, Glayoso's work, which obviously are very good. I don't want to take anything away from her cinema, which is obviously, is just a different approach to perhaps these topics, you know, in in the sense of the treatment of of people and the way you, you position them as well. But more recent, the Lima based films that just put indigenous populations on the background of films, instead of position them as, as active uh, participants or even as participants in the movie. But that's just as, as a comment on the on the films. And there's so much more. We can talk about the uh, Peruvian cinema and how it uh, relates to, to migrational fictions. As you mentioned, there's a lot. And your selection was quite good to give a broad stroke of, what's, of what go, goes on in there. But uh, just to keep ourselves within the podcast and going on to chapter, chapter two. Chapter two is called On the Edge, Peruvian Narratives of Migration. And now you look at novels or short stories and you examine... Examine four, which is uh, Jose Maria Argueda's is, uh, El Zorro de Arriba, El Zorro de Abajo, Cromo El Jara's Montacerdos, which are from 71 and 81, and some more recent uh, examples of narratives, which is Santiago Rongagliolo's Abril Rojo from 2006 and Daniel Alarcón's Lost City Radio from 2007. I was very interested in this this uh, selection because it's quite a broad selection that gives us a, like quite a complete picture of. Uh, of works that look at how migrants are represented in, in fiction novels, but I was uh, was quite curious about the inclusion of Daniel Alarcón. What was your decision there with these four books, and especially the inclusion of Alarcón's Los uh, Citerés, which is a great book, but I, I thought it was uh, quite a, a different uh, inclusion against Santiago as well, but Daniel Alarcón stood mm-hmm. out to me a bit more. Yeah,
2: well, if you see this, and like, I question like, if you uh, if you take uh, Soros and Montacerdos, no, Soros de arriba, Soros de abajo, Montacerdos, you have two um, uh, my, two authors who are internal migrants in Peru who are writing about their um, the the condition of of the mestizo and the condition of indián people in a different in different cities. In the case of the Soros, is in Chimbote. In the case of Montacerdos is in Lima, in the outskirts of Lima. Um, so um, they represent the, 20, the 20th century. And then we have these other different, and it's like the, the idea behind my decision was a, a little bit like follow a, a path in the ways that um, um, migrants have been represented, internal migrants in particular, um, and also from authors who were internal migrants and that had issues within uh, different cities. Right, they they explore the the uh, differences even among in, uh, migrants in these cities because it's a uh, um, Afro Peruvian migrants, indigenous migrants, mestizo migrants, or Cholo migrants in in the city of Chimbotecao. they have like uh, their differences and and disputes in that city, right? So it's a, a different microcosm, and and then in Mont- is. Also, different uh, another, um, let's say, a universe, right, uh, where new migrants are not welcome in a, even in a shanty town that has been um, legally um, uh, scripted in the city. So you know, they represent a different period, a di- uh, different um, different kind of vision about the migrant. And then the other two novels, which which are um, um, were published in the. First decade of the twenty first century, and um, written by authors who are transnational. Um, so that's that's a different But these authors um, have maintained this connection. They're not only immigrants; right? they 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 also they keep their connection with Peru. They're trans they're transnational. They work in 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 the case of. Uh, Ron Cagliolo in Spain, in Mexico, and, and Lima, and then in the case of Alarcón, he's working from the U.S., but he is talking about, even though he doesn't mention the word Peru explicitly, right, but he has done that in different interviews, um, he's 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 inspired by what he has seen and researched in, in Peru. He's... Um, Narrative like not only in Abri Rojo, but in a War by the candlelight and City of Clowns, is like it's about um, Peru and and migration and the uh, class difference and ethnic um, differences as well. And uh, so so why Alarcón? Uh, I think like he he's a Peruvian American writer, right? So he's still Peruvian, <laughs> and I think it's important to to put in the map how the transnational production of literature in Peru um, US um, is still talking about this this these topics and what is the view of these Peruvian writers who are also immigrants, external immigrants, and how the actually how the very fact that they are outside the country has shaped their vision of internal migrants in Peru. um, paying attention to this issue it's um, in a way keeping their connection with the country alive right? W- with their homeland alive and I think it's it's really important to to pin in a map these other authors who are writing from somewhere else but are also still dealing with um, very important Peruvian issues that other people were not paying attention to before them except for um, Arguedas or Montacertos, and we we have talked a lot about um indigenism and indigen um and what well, literature in, as indigenism or urban literature in the 50s for example but we we have forgotten what the the very process that has led us from in, indigenous literature towards urban literature which is migration so i i my intention was to map that um, by choosing different authors from different periods to kind of trace of how it has changed and how why like the interest about uh, migrants can also be inspired by the very fact that we have authors who live abroad and are thinking about this because they have families who have migrated because they have been um, uh, they, they themselves are migrants right so it's like how does that really affect their vision and how they expect in a way that this production um, in a way like uh, keeps their their ties with the country tight and not only that but there there is another factor which is the the economic factor of publishing abroad and how much attention attention they can get we know what gets um, attention because well he's awesome (laughs) but um for example (laughs) crown guajara it is not um it's not as well known as Arqueras or as uh, Roncaglio or Alarcón, who have been publishing from abroad, right, and have received a lot of attention because, because they are these transnational authors who are publishing with these, uh, um, you know, um, big publishing houses in the U.S. and and in Spain. So that also has a different impact and give them more a louder voice, if if you wish, like a, a louder voice to talk about this important issues. Um, so I, I just wanted to pin that in the map of the, the literary map of, of Peruvian narratives.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
2: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas, you've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta
0: by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Yes, uh, definitely.
1: I think that was very interesting and it made me understand a bit more the, the intentions behind uh, that selection. And going now to the third chapter, you did the same thing but for Bolivian cinema and for Bo- Bolivian novels and short stories in chapter 3, chapter 3 called Affective Epistems Bolivian Cinema Migration. It's always interesting to read about uh, films that I haven't seen in, and especially cinema from a country I haven't heard that much about. You look at Paolo Agassi's 1982 it's mi socio, Jorge Sanjine's 1989's nineteen uh, eighty La Nación clandestina, Juan Carlos Valdivias, two thousand five American Visa, and and his two thousand thirteen movie Ivi Marae. I was quite interested in the difference between these films and the previous films you mentioned before. The way they portray migration and the, the migrants themselves. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, well, I uh, the same as the in the um, chapter about Peruvian cinema, I wanted to to give the vision of and the trajectory of um, the patients of migrants in at the in, in the second half of the 20th century and then how we that have changed uh has changed in the in the 21st century. Um and also it's it's complicated because Aldasi, for example, is it's, uh, he has been nationalized uh, he, he became a citizen, I believe citizen, but he's originally from Italy. Um, but he, like I, I interviewed him and he's, uh, he's, he's a, he has always been, uh, according to him, I believe in his heart. And and he has worked with the people of Grupo Camau, which uh, they were like a, a film collective that produced uh, cinema. About indigenous issues, and but they, their intention was to work with them, um, not not to tell stories about them, but to make um people in different indigenous communities the protagonists of their stories, like they like actors, and they had um, some saying in the, also in the writing of the scripts of the movies, so that's a different kind of of cinema having something scriptum talking about the mayor or talking about about the indigenous person. But it's the indigenous person, it's indigenous peoples communities are participating in the in the filmmaking process. So this is um, the Yukamao project in in, in brief. Uh, and Agassi traveled to to Bolivia to work with him specifically and he fell in love with a project and he has been living in Bolivia ever since. And um, so he, when he filmed um, *Mis Socio, which is 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 a it's a comedy, <laughs> it's a but also a drama <laughs> in Um He he has these two characters who I think, in a way, they're like doing what he did and what he has seen people doing in Bolivia, just going back through the. Uh, provinces in Bolivia and getting to renown their traditions and and revalue that. So it's like the process of migration in in his film. Um, it's interesting because it it allows that it's kind of a road road movie. Um, so the the trip of these two characters who it's a, a truck driver and a kid who decides to be the helper. Um, it, it really goes and engage and into different communities and engage with them, help them, and also problematize that with the main adult character being um, a womanizer and the kid trying to form his own vision of how he wants to be and what is his hope. They come from opposite parts of the country: one from the Andes, the other from the more like um, the valleys, the Amazonian area, and and they had they represent this different vision, the what in Bolivia they call Coyas, which are more Morandian, the and then Canvas is new. Canvas would be like the equivalent for um I don't know what we call chunchos or uh, people from, from the Amazonian area um, region. Um, that that would be that difference. And he put those different perspectives together and how despite these different perspectives they are seeing the same values in the country while they're traveling. Um, so it's a, it's a trip, uh, a learning trip, uh, kind of a building's romance for these two characters in a way. Um, so then, but then Valdivia's uh, movie, uh, oh, sorry, I jumped to <laughs> um, uh, San Gines, It's an iconic movie like that you can cannot write about migration without um, talking about San Gines. Um and his important work leading the group, Ucamao. And um, obviously, La, La Nacion Clandestina is, I think, one of his, if not the most well-known, um, famous movie, uh, one of the most famous um, directed by him. And in that movie, he actually represents his it's a migrant character who comes from a, community and goes to the city and the movie basically shows the process in, in which like uh, the character realizes that he, as an indigenous person will never really be accepted by society and he decides to go back to to, to his IU to his community and then he really redis- rediscovers the 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 values of his community trying to reunify with them to work for them with them and to die for it in a ritual dance um, and what is important about this movie is that it it shows the colonial process like through the migrant. And the migrant is, is doing that by like all his travel, all his steps towards the city and going back to his community are exactly that. It's like discovering like how um, our minds are being um we are absorbed by Western values and forget our indigenous part. And then going back, how can we recover that and value it in spite of shame? Um and that is very important because it's like he wants to be, he wants to look more um westernized, dressing differently, abandoning um his traditional clothing, abandoning his own name, the, the main character. Um, It's called, um, his last name is Mamani, but then when he goes to the city, he doesn't want to be Mamani. So he changed it to Meisman, Meisman, uh, like a Germany last name, and and he's evidently indigenous. uh, But he doesn't want to be seen as indigenous. He denies that uh, in so many different ways. And then when he realizes that he will never be accepted in spite of like he changing, dressing, uh, he changes jobs, or he changes his last name. He he goes back. Well, there are other factors still in the movie, but he goes back, and he it's he it starts to accept his identity and recovers the traditions. And actually, he decides to sacrifice himself as a way to get back to to the community. Uh, so he starts doing this um the hatata in which um uh, it's basically like he dance with a mask and to, till he dies. And, and, and in that way he could be reincorporated in the IG, in the community. So he decides to do that because he doesn't see that um, how, el- how else he can save his soul in a way, but he has to go back to the, to the earth, to mother earth. And so he, he dies doing this, performing this traditional dance that was even forgotten Within his own community, so he he's trying to you know like pay tribute to that, and that is that is very important. Those are very iconic. I mean, uh, the Gassi's movie and, and um San Gines movie are iconic movies to watch. And then and then um in the in the twenty first century, Juan Carlos Valdivia. Like I, I think that some people see him a little bit like. Uh, Claudia Yosa <laughs> but i, I think it's different and i when i interviewed him too like he he actually uh claims that he follows the path of 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 San Gines by for example in in his move in his film uh, Imarai he uh, worked with a with a Guarani, uh migrant in the city and they both grow the um, Elio Ortiz is his name. They both wrote the script for the movie. So and, and it's this trip that the filmmaker uh played by the the Bolivia himself. And Elio Ortiz um, take They have a road trip and they again go inside the Guarani communities in Bolivia. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful film. Visually it's beautiful and and also the very fact that like San Gines, he decides to do the movie with not professional actors and um he co-writes this with with the characters so that is that is interesting and i think not many people knew that about his film i think that that makes a big difference and he's not looking at the migrant he's he's working with them right and and basically depicting his own story and relationship with them and questioning know the indigenous way of life but questioning his own whiteness and how people see this mestizo, um, white mestizo from the city, from La Paz. Um, so that's a very important movie and it's a, um, um, it's a movie that celebrates uh, in many ways the the advent of these new indigenous movements and reinvention of traditions and great taking control of forms of government and and economics in bolivia um and and bolivia is very aware of that he when i interviewed him he told me he he was in mexico uh, in the us and then in mexico and he decided to to go back to to bolivia because he saw that there with all the uprisings right before evo morales and all the movements and economic and political changes that Led to Evo Morales taking power and changing the constitution, etc. Um, he saw these changes as, as, a, as a very important moment, um, and he decided like to go back to his country and to contribute to that change. and And one of his contributions is the making of of his films, um, especially Ido Marai, um which is a celebration of indigeneity and and community and recovery of values and questioning the the power of white people in a colonial society. Uh, he is basically questioning himself, judging the white, white population in Bolivia, as opposed to just, uh, I don't know, like showing the way Guarani communities live. It's just, it's not about that. It's about how Guarani communities can question him and can make him, help him Um, question also his identity and his links to different cultures in his country. Um, His other movie is also about um, migration, but it's um, again, it's um, a character who has already migrated uh, and then it's it's a kid who has migrated and then the father wants to follow him and reunite with his son in the U.S. And, but he's confronted with the the main character is a is a teacher and then the the other character is a prostitute <laughs> um and they have they they start basically questioning the American dream versus the bolivian dream and what does the what what does that mean in a, in a country like bolivia right um so I think like that premise led me to choose this 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 film because it's basically um, questioning the whole cultural revolution you wish in, in Bolivia. What what does it mean to be Bolivian? What does um, what does the Bolivian dream entail? And in this case, it's not just going somewhere else, it's just staying home and valuing the, the, the cultures that you already have, the things that you're facing, no matter what. So it's, I think I wanted to, to see a, a pattern of development. Before Evo, after Evo, after the revolution of the 1950s in Bolivia. And I think these movies represent that path, a slow, a slow um, march towards um, the colonial way of thinking that is uh, very strong in Bolivia.
1: Mm-hmm. I really enjoy that, that chapter. And also uh, Jorge Sanginez is uh, La Nación Clandestina. At least the, the first bit reminded me a bit of a, about uh, Riveros' uh, alienation uh, a bit. No, 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 oh, not sure if that. Yeah. One, yeah. Just just a bit uh, at the beginning, especially going on to the fourth chapter, which is uh, alternative communities, Bolivian narratives of migration. You look at uh, Jesus Urzaga, Urzagati. Urza, Urza, okay, let's sorry, let's Jesus <laughs> Los Tejeros de la noche from 1996. El Jardín de Nora by Blanca Wietcuter from 1998. Yeah. Cuando Sara Chura Despierte from Juan Pablo Piñero from 2003. And El Blues del Minibus by Antoine Rodríguez Carmona from 2015. I thought it was very interesting, especially, again, put it in counterpoint with the Purvin's narratives of migration. And the difference between... uh, You can see the difference as well in Peruvian and Bolivian cinema and their narratives of migration, as as you've laid it out. It focuses on the migrants as subjects of knowledge. And that's very interesting in how they they position themselves and how they physically they celebrate their identity. They they position that front, right, and center. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about these books and how migrants recognize themselves and their identity. And it's it's quite fascinating.
2: Yeah, in these books, which... All of them are, are really interesting. They're really entertaining. <laughs> um, they they are not so like they play a lot with with the idea of of dreams and how through dreams, um, the characters get to question certain um aspects of 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 modernity and 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 their new lives in in the cities, um. So on how like it's all again like this idea of like how they want to have a little bit of of Europe, of European um behaviors, European fashions and ways of living and not really getting it of course, um, but end up discovering actually how all communities used to live. So for example, in um Los Tejedores de la Noche, it's it's about a guy who's uh Moves to the city um, from the mountains to to La Paz, and then um, he's living in an apartment. And he hears that in the in the floor upstairs, like there are machines, there are people doing uh, knitting. And this is this is a real thing that happened to the author. Tursagasi like, is like he was in the city and he was listening to these people who were working on their on their needs and they sell that in the markets to tourists. Um, so they, he, he starts to imagine these, these characters, like as who are these characters? He never seen them. And this, that is in the novel. He never gets to see them until the very end. And he said, like, he sees this as a, as a metaphor of like, uh, these, uh, populations that are invisible. That you never see, they, but you know that they are working in the needs, You know that they are working in, in. I don't know, they are plumbers, they are bred uh, they work in in, in pastisseries they work in, I don't know, like in, in the land, they work with their hands and nobody really pays attention to them when they are the ones that really make up the country and, and move it forward, right? It's like, we never pay attention to the work of plumbers, something like that, it's like, but we only notice their importance when we have a problem with our toilets, right? Um, so the book is something like that it explores like oh, what are these um weavers doing and what are their works how many are they and it's it's all this dreamy vision it's it's, it's complicated to, to explain uh, but i think that the author um uh, it's using this idea of dream because for him it's easier to explain it that way like uh it, it is a more emotional way to 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 portray this these Indian migrants, right? And he, as a migrant, how he sees that. I don't know. It's just a, a very a very poetic way to see it. And uh, it's not just, uh, <laughs> how can I say this? It's like, it's not depressing completely <laughs> about the reality of migrants, but it also presents it in a in a way that it's, uh, I don't know, it gives you hope. It, and, and I think the idea, like representing and talking about his dreams, it's what makes it, Interesting. And then there is this other book which is uh Jardin de Nora by uh, Blanca Blanco we took her and she she has this it's this book is crazy because you have two German it's very different. It's, it's the whole thing is an allegory of migration and well not migration but more than colonization, right? Because colonization is also a um a migration process and and he puts it like that by and underscores how the people who came to colonize the white populations in Bolivia want, want to live like Europeans. And they, they come from, from Germany and they want to build these beautiful gardens, reproduce these beautiful gardens that they have in Europe. And, and they can't in Bolivia because simply the land is rocky and you're not going to have a, a lot of roses in a rocky terrain. And that's exactly what they try to do. And they go against um, the re- recommendations given by, um, you know, uh, people from the community. Uh, so so then they, they say, like, do not um, grow plants here because the, the land is not the right land. You can create holes and it's going to crack. You cannot be here, basically. Um And they still do it because they want to have their European uh, view Mm -hmm. of a garden and instead of adapting to the, what they can really grow in Bolivia. Um, So then their garden becomes like, it cracks and creates holes. And and this this couple also have like children who become mute after a while. But um, towards the end, like, this, this couple just um, hide them in the back of the house and uh, the kids only learn some Aymara words because they, they, they hear that from the gardener. Um, the only thing they can speak, it's not German, is Aymara. And when they, when they really <clears throat> utter words, they start yelling um, things in, in Aymara and uh, the earth keeps cracking uh and and they bore the the parents and it's like a whole metaphor of like the children who were born in bolivia who speak Aymara, who were sent to the back of the garden the son of these migrants um migrants themselves like they create like a, a vacuum a, a hole in society that cannot um, it, um that represent this division between white populations and, and indigenous populations, of course, but it's also like these kids at the same time, and this is very interesting. They they have their own garden, um, and this garden flowers with with um, with plants that are um, original from Bolivia, and not flowers or plants brought from from Europe, and and so their story is different. It's a different rebirth in a way, but they they have to create this what I see as epistemological holes. These spaces that cannot be filled, these spaces that that cannot be um uni, cannot create union, cannot create bridges in a way. Um Sylvia Rivera cosicanqui talks about this in a completely different way. obviously like she said like uh, Bolivian society is the like combination of of white and let's say white and black uh, um colours where and instead of having grey areas you just see the the whites um white and black points so together that you think it's the same color but in reality are the colors that have never merged together. Um and and it's like it's a society that is pluricultural, pluriracial, um very different people live together next to each other but they never really get to I don't know, it's it's division and togetherness at the same time. <clears throat> and I think the book represents um, that um, in, in the precise way, like, it's like a, there's a hole between certain groups in society. And, and it's interesting because it's a migrant and, and um, the author is the daughter of German migrants in Bolivia too. So she's criticizing um, her own kind in many ways. Um, so yeah, this, um, this is what I saw in in this in this book, and then um Carmona's book there's a set of like different stories um they're all about um a moment of uh, change in in bolivia like with evo Morales and how people are seeing that and how now um people who um, more white mestizos are scared of <laughs> Of the Chola Paseña, which is this, uh, represents in the book this uh, powerful um, economic power, right? The same with Piñera's book, um, and I don't want to just uh, summarize again the book, but it's a, it's it's a celebration of traditions of um, the Ayman traditions and uh, festivity that it's like. Um, both books deal with the... El Gran Poder, which is a, like a big fiesta in, in Bolivia. It's a uh, syncretic festivity, right? Because it's about Jesus with three faces and they have these big dances and they have like for a week uh, competitions and, and, and yeah, celebration of this Christ. And, um, but they are in both cases, in both works, the characters are awaiting for the awakening of, of this um, Andean entity, uh, something like the Incari, um, the return of the Incari, the the return of the Inca of the Pachacutec, and that's what they symbolize. And it's it is it's really interesting because in all these actually in all the the novels there is an idea a sense of return and how like the going back to the town, the reverse migration um, is going to lead to a rediscovery of the culture. And and this rediscovery, it's like basically reproducing a political ideology of return where the indigenous populations are going to retake power and reorganize society. And that is what in so many different ways was happening with um, before Evo Morales, or so what that led to, to his um, election and, and the aftermath. Uh, so, it's a complete like the social revolution with indigenous peoples are recognized, and all this is in these novels. And it is very interesting because in the novels, you can see the political path. That is the background of these novels. And I think it's probably the most important thing. And I'm just mentioning it towards the end. But um, yeah, that, that that's why these novels are so important.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that very interesting and very insightful of where you can find it in chapter four of your book. To, to wrap this interview up, this is a question I like to ask all my interviewees. And I'm very interested in, in hearing what you had to say on this aspect. But how do you think your book speaks to the present state of both Peruvian and, and, and Bolivian societies?
2: Well, it was published last year, and, uh, but I, I was working on it like for three years, I think. Um, and <laughs> I think it it, it, it actually. It talks about what's happening now. Still in 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 Peru, we have seen with COVID, for example, uh, the reverse migration processes and how people have like didn't even want these uh, my, uh, migrants uh, in the passing by their communities in Lima just because they needed to go back because they didn't have more economic resources to stay in the capital by themselves, right? And 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 we have seen with COVID, for example, this all like very brutal like views of migrant populations in, in from the Andes and from, from from the Amazonian region. Um so I think like, that is that is a problem that is reflected in, in 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 films and novels in Peru that have been represented before and then that's still being represented. And I think the problematic views of our society are still there, especially especially in Peru. In Peru I think we we are very still a very colonial um, place. Um, and in the case of Bolivia, of we can see still the struggles towards recognizing indigenous populations. They have changed the constitution. They, cl- they have declared um, officially a political nation. Um, they have indigenous uh, people in power. And I mean, we had for a, well, they had for a little bit um, Janine Agnes who who was trying to undo all the things that the Morales did and to basically like I don't know, they, they had all this um weird cleansing of, of even their own Congress. Like they set fire here and there, they they were insulting people, uh, for being Andean and for even trying to to revalue their culture and then this was the entering government, and then when they had the the elections, and they have Luis Arce again. Like, is I mean, it's not like he's uh, Evo Morales, but um, and I'm also not trying to idolize Morales, but he he is like a a milestone in the political ideology in in Bolivia, right? Um, he yeah, he obviously has been in power, had was in power for too long, but uh, but now they're trying to like recover and keep the changes or some of the changes they wanted and so I think the book keeps talking about these these current processes of political change and of um, pejorative views on migrants that we tend to veil most of the time.
1: Yes definitely and we have talked a lot about the book in depth but is there anything you think we've missed or that you think we should mention that Listeners should know about the book
2: uh, <laughs> I don't know like we we really uh, i think mentioned a lot of things about it. I think that it it is really i think something that's important and that when I was researching for this book is that I haven't seen much comparative work between Bolivia and Peru when we are so close and so um similar and dissimilar at the same time, and I think it's it's worth. Getting to know more about our neighbors, like not only Bol- Bolivian cultural productions, but also Ecuadorian, right, and Colombian, and and see how their different visions of their traditional cultures inform their their views on modernity and their takes on on political reforms. I think that we it's not. I think we're lagging behind. Um, in terms of like giving more power to indigenous communities or migrant communities in Lima. You know, now like everybody thinks they, I don't know, people don't even want to recognize themselves as migrant even when they are second or third generation uh, of migrants. And and that is something that is very sad and we have to ask why is that so bad? Um, what What is the positive thing about having people um coming or going back to their uh, places of origin, how can we or how can we change that if it's something that it's really so bad as as we tend to perceive it? Um, so I think that the book questions that and the book um brings up like alternative ways to see migration, not just uh, as crisis, not just as like uh, it shows all the works, I think as a whole show, the migrants as subjects who are very resourceful that they can create alternate alternative ways of living alternative ways of thinking alternative ways of um, relating to 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 different people in the community and to create their own communities too so i think we tend to forget that part and and that is i think something we need to to pay attention to right and that's that's why I wrote the book and I wrote it in comparison to Bolivia because that, that would make us see it in a different way, um, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think we should definitely look to our neighbors more. Before you finish, uh, is there any new projects you're working on right now you want to tell us about?
2: Um, <laughs> well, my, my, uh, right now I'm doing research about like, the influence of um, Chinese immigrants in the end, and the end countries. And I'm starting with Peru. Um, I'm actually like uh, also have a Chinese family, and, but I, I'm going to be exploring how like um, racial soli- solidarity helped these um, Asian communities to, to become like, to, to acquire some uh, not only affective capital because they became family, but also like uh, real economic capital to move forward in society. Um, so that is that is part of my research. So I'm gonna be doing that and exploring the the political influence of these communities. Um, yeah, it's, it's so like I think Peru is like 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 many other countries. Like it's a country of migrants, right? Like and the entire Indian region can be can be seen as a border, and and that I'm interested in exploring all these different aspects to see like hey why. What have we missed in, in the constitution of our people
1: in Peru? That sounds very interesting. And we're, I think we're all looking forward to it. Thanks, Lorena, again, for joining us here on the New Books Network in Latin American Studies to talk about your recent published book, Fictions of Migration, Narratives of Displacement in Peru and Bolivia. Thanks to you,
2: Kenneth.
1: Thank you again. And that's all from us here. Have a good day.